Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Thank you so much, Jenny, and thank you, Skylight, for having us. We're so excited to be celebrating Dear Twin with Addie. Um, I first read Dear Twin, oh gosh, when was it? Early stages. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, Addie reached out to me for a blurb, and I was incredibly honored. In reading the book, it felt like such a like compelling emotional journey that I'm so excited that this book is out here in the world. We can celebrate it with Addie. It's so beautiful and poignant, and um, it's a very specific story that talks about like queerness, identities, what it means to be a twin and to be apart from that, and to form your own individuality and finding family and believing in yourself, especially when like others are telling you not to. I think it's a very important book. And um, without further ado, Addie's going to read a little bit from. No, the novel, and then we'll dive into some questions, and then we'll open up for questions from the audience. And there's also wine and snacks. Feel free to help yourself if you want to get settled and have some snacks before reading. You're welcome to do that. Anyone? No? <laughs> okay, I'm just going to read um, three really short passages, but I'll just read them continuously. My bedroom wall is lined with a white wooden bookshelf Baba made for me in the backyard just after our 10th birthday. He built Lola one too, identical to the one shoved against the bedroom wall that runs into the door. Cut from cheap plywood, the paint even, but not as thick and creamy as we would have liked. The whiteness of the shelf stands out against the beige of the carpet, our walls. The shelves Baba made for his daughters are as identical as our rooms that bookend our side of the house on the second floor. Our rooms that bookend the house are as identical as we are. As if identical wasn't bad enough. With mirror twins, the egg splits later than usual. If it had split any later, we could have ended up conjoined, like Chang and Ung, forever attached. When the egg splits, it already has a left side and a right. Two embryos swim alongside their mirror image. I'm left-handed and Lola's right. We ha have the same little dot above our lip, except mine's on the left, hers on the right. In some cases, mirror twins' hair might whirl in opposite directions, or their first teeth might pop up on opposite sides of their mouths. Even their fingerprints could be mirror images of one another. In the scariest cases, one mirror twin is born with her organs where they're supposed to be, while her twin's organs grow on the opposite side of her body. We were born with some minor complications, but we'd soon discover it was the circumstances of our parents that placed us in the most danger. I was born at 5.30 on a Saturday morning in late January. Lola was born at five pounds, 10 ounces. I was born at five pounds, 14 ounces. The nature of our birth was yet another barb we traded back and forth, my tit for her tat. Someone, anyone would ask, how far apart were you born? Lola would answer, 10 minutes. Her eye roll ready to launch as I would retort, more like 10 years. Lola loved that she was the smaller one at birth. She would point at the baby pictures of us standing in the bright summer grass, naked except for our matching puffy white diapers. Insistent you could tell my bottom was bigger than hers, my belly rounder. We were like our own comedy act. I played the clown, she played it straight. But something happened when the doctor pulled Lola out, which cast my story in turn. Lola's hip popped as she was being born. From that rift, our story spun. Her hip popped, which somehow came to mean that she was more vulnerable than I was, and that I must have kicked and kicked my way out, so that I could be first, so that I could get away from her and our tiny container of two. My four extra ounces at birth meant I was destined to be the thicker, curvier one. Lola's hip popping, which led to an x-ray to ensure the situation wasn't serious, spun her story too that she was broken from birth. If she was broken, I was whole. If she could break, then by the very definition of mere twinning, nothing could ever be wrong with me. 
Lola would become defined by the breaking of her body, a breaking that would result in feeling wanted, feeling seen. The fact that my bone did not sing of brokenness meant I would never want or need for anything. With that one little pop signaling her arrival in the world, the soundlessness of my own bones in that same room meant I would be marked as the invisible one. I suppose we both couldn't have been the seen ones. We were twins. There always has to be an odd one out. The question of the safety of her body made her remarkable, for better or for worse. When twins are born, each and every detail of our twinned bodies is held up to the light like a piece of someone else's mail you want to dissect secretly. Just the act of flashing a light through that envelope reframes its mysterious contents. The need to witness whatever is inside becomes an act of suspicion. Twins are born, and without much question or choice, they become part of this thing much larger and snakier than themselves. They become things. But here's the thing, they don't even know it's happening. But here's the thing, they don't know why it matters, and when they realize it does, it's often too late. But this is the truth. We love each other. Our primary role in the family is to be those precious twins everyone coos and gasps at like babies or old-time circus freaks. Besides, twins are always creepy, right? Didn't you see The Shining? Baba dressed us alike so he could be a hit with his Asian immigrant friends, and our white mother dressed us alike so she could attract more of her favorite foreign barflies and clubbers she loved to bring home, like turning her daughters into two gold fireflies held in a mason jar with a promise to release them into the starry night just as soon as she's caught the attention of her prince. But then she is so swept up with her prince, she forgets the fireflies are still trapped in the mason jar on a coffee table in the other room gathering dust. And the fireflies stay quiet, hoping the longer they do, the sooner the fireflies can become daughters again. And then the mother never really does remember the jar, the fireflies, the starry black night that is their home, or even her daughters. So in the jar, they remain until the prince breaks their mother's heart and leaves her, which he always does, and she needs them again. But while they are waiting to become human, to distract themselves from their mother's occasional and recurring disappearance or their father's unthinking rage, the twin girls giggle underneath their thrift store quilt on their double mattress in their mother's small apartment as they perform twin impressions of their father's Mandarin for fun, or at least try to, incomprehensible as their father's language is to both of them. They record themselves on their mother's old boombox singing and acting out The Little Mermaid, their favorite, and then play back the recording while pointing at each other and giggling, their two faces turning as red as the pair of suckers their mother brings home from the bank. They hold each other in the bed they share while they wait for their mother to come home from the club, desperately hoping that their mother will come upon them, soft and sentimental in her tipsy haze, and clutch her hand to her heart at the sight of her twin girls and their doubled love. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. You said you had three passages you want to read? Oh, no, no th those were the three. I just read the title. Yeah. Okay, excellent. All right. So tell me about the origin idea of this story. Well, so I guess I'll start with... Um, the fact that I wrote a memoir that was supposed to get published, um, it was supposed to be published in 2012, and then um, circumstances happened to the press, and so the, um, it fell through, uh, the press basically folded. And so it, you know, it was quite devastating, and it, it, but it gave me the opportunity to really think about who I really wanted to read this story, and, um, what my actual audience, what the audience I wanted was. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> I happened to be reading a lot of YA at the time, and I just started thinking about it. And, and the, like, so the, the memoir was kind of divided into two halves. One half was based around this central story of my adolescence and childhood with my twin sister. And then the other half was like my adulthood, having been informed by that experience. And so, so I took the adolescent experience and, and then I just decided to reframe it as a YA novel because I realized that I really wanted to reach teenagers who are 18 to 22, teenagers and young adults, or people who are older that were going to be looking back at that time in their life. So, so that was sort of like how it started and then a number of changes happened along the way, you know. Yeah, 
tell me about like the process when you first conceptualized it, it was a memoir. So a lot of this is drawn from your own life experience. How did you juxtapose that with like the fictional story you wanted to tell? And how did you um, decide about like the characters and um, in the creation of the story, you know, coming from a memoir place and then going into a fictional one? What was that experience like? Yeah, so I've always been, I mean, even though I started my writing life as a young person writing fiction, which I was basically writing fan fiction, but that's not what we called it then, um, really bad imitations of Anne Rice vampire <laughs> books, um, and they were twin vampires, and, and I, I, but but when I became like a, an adult writing when I was in college, I was actually so terrified to write fiction that I took a personal essay class when I was ta taking creative writing and had it substitute the fiction <laughs> requirement because I was just very like intimidated by the prospect of fiction. But I was really surprised that when I started to um, to write this novel that it was actually the fiction gave me a, a freedom that I didn't expect. And so once, really once I gave the characters that were based on my twin sister and I like different names and sort of a different, a different narrative, uh, like a sort of different framed narrative, I, it was really exciting and actually really fun to sort of play with what was fictional and what was sort of based in real life. And then I did want to protect some of the people that I'm writing about, and so I, I changed certain things about the way that they happened so that, you know, my sister is reading it right now, which I did not expect to happen. Uh, she's sending me lots of texts about things. Um, <laughs> she, um, that she was going to feel in some way that I had kept what had happened to her, at least like the the very like specific details sort of um, kind of obfuscated for her mm -hmm. privacy. Yeah. So um, so yeah. So I think that even that alone, just writing about uh, writing about my family and knowing I wasn't writing exactly about what happened, was a huge relief in a way that I wasn't expecting. That's wonderful. So tell me about Poppy and Lola. This is really Poppy's story, mm -hmm. and um, what one of the things I loved about this novel was that you get to see Poppy define herself and who she is, and so much of her comes from like you know her and Lola, and then um, when Lola disappears, then that's when she really starts to discover, mm -hmm. and like you know she starts writing these letters, and it's really you know she looks back on like their relationship, and so what was that like for you? And tell me about like what when you're like deciding about the characters, like all, tell me all the things. <laughs> um, well, I knew that I wanted Lola to be sort of a shadow character in the book and to not ever really exist in the sense that um, she doesn't speak in the book. She, the only, the only scenes we have of her are really through the point of view of, of her sister Poppy, who's the main character. Because one of the reasons I wrote this book was a the problem of the twin trope, especially in young adult literature. So that was kind of something that spurred me to write a young adult novel was that there was just twins kind of pop up as these very minor background characters. Um, they're, they're often used to create multiple siblings really easily of a character. So like instead of having to define a number of siblings, you just have the twins <laughs> um, the twins often have twinned names, um, you know, they're dressed alike. There's like always some sort of like, so either that is happening in the background or they're like evil, demonic, sort of the shining type of characters. Um, and I also thought there was like a, like a space for twins to exist in literature now because in vitro it's becoming so common. Um, and so much more accessible than it used to be. So we're seeing multiples, like we're seeing multiple births. And and I felt like there are going to be twins, like a lot more twins um, growing up who are going to want to see something more complicated. So, so it was very important to me that this was Poppy's story, that this was an individual who also happened to be a twin, but also kind of addressing um, the sort of joined versus singular unique circumstance of what it means to grow up as an identical twin in particular. Um, and then other than that, Poppy is definitely part me in the sense that I was trying to write her as I thought and sort of 
the the way that my language was and the way that I sort of felt I felt at the time combined with this kind of like fantasy of what would have been like if I would have been able to be a queer twin I'm a queer teenager if I hadn't known that queer people existed which I barely did because I lived in the suburbs and it just wasn't you know it wasn't in the mainstream at all but I didn't really yeah like there was just there was like one girl I remember who everyone said was bi but they treated her like she was a weirdo. But other than that, like in my entire high school life, I didn't see any like queer um, female identified people. So, so yeah, so it's like kind of half like this weird fantasy, like um, looking backwards on what that life could have been like for me and what, like kind of enacting that. Um, and, then, and then half sort of how I reflected on myself as a teenager. Uh, in terms of Lola, um, I mean, Lola was a little trickier for me because I wanted her to be complicated and I wanted their relationship to be very, like, there, there's, like, a lot of difficulty at being a twin. And so I wanted that to be expressed in how she, how Poppy sort of speaks about her and it speaks about their childhood and also the point, like, what happens before she kind of goes missing. And then, did you ask me about other characters? Um, and then there's Juniper, who was like probably like my f one of my favorite characters to write. Because I, I also, it was very important to me that um, Poppy's relationship was a queer Asian relationship because mm -hmm. that was something I also don't see often in pop culture, um, whether, you know, whether it's hetero identified or queer identified. And so I wanted them to have all these like Asian references <laughs> and sort of like shared identity that they were kind of riffing off with each other. Um, and just this kind of giddiness. And, and I mean, one thing that I felt about YA when I was reading at the time was that there were all these, these girl characters that were like really misanthropic and sarcastic and like had all these like dark feelings about the world, which I think is fine and I certainly had those, but I just sort of wanted her to also be a girl that was like also moved by the world at the same time, couldn't help but be moved by the world, which was like not something I was reading in a lot of the, the um, female characters that I was reading in YA at that point. And so, so I wanted her to be like, you know, she was like going through a lot of trauma, going through a lot of really difficult emotions um, in her childhood, but mm -hmm. also, you know, giddy and still like just as excited as any any teenager we sort of think about in the world. Yeah, I really love that about, especially about Poppy and Juniper's relationship, because Poppy, there's so much trauma, and there's so many things in the book that she has, like, with her family life and her father, and, like, and Juniper being, like, such a bright point in her life, mm -hmm. and, like, I felt like such a prevailing theme was, like, the idea that you deserve to be happy. And I think that's a very big, like, Asian-American thing or, like, like a children of immigrants thing where we are were, we were taught so many, like, it's, it's really hard to unpack the idea that, like, oh, like, you know, joy and happiness, that's, those are, like, luxuries or frivolities mm -hmm. and, like, um, the strength that I thought Poppy had to, like, you know, um, her whole journey, she's going through, like, what other people are defining things for her, whether it's her father or Lola or whatever, and then her getting to claim, like, you know what, I do deserve to be happy at the end was so powerful. Mm -hmm. What do you think about, like, culturally, do you think, like, your, I, you know, how you were raised, your family, like, how does that, your experience as, like, an Asian American influence and inform your work as a writer? Yeah, I mean, I think that you said it really well, that um, I think when you come from immigrant parents that they're so focused on just uh, this kind of like elemental need of survival, of getting fed, clothed, you know, um, grades that are supposed to like end up with this kind of like stable basic idea of success, that joy ends up not being in the room or the equation. And then there's also this like danger. I mean, I think that when I was growing up, my father thought every single possible thing was a danger. So it was very hard for him to let us explore anything to then have like an experience of joy or happiness because he was so he was so consumed with all the accidents or all the 
menace or I mean I can't even imagine what he would be like in today's world because <laughs> like those those things are just so much more obviously like out there than they were then um but yeah so I think that I did I I um I did write this book a lot in like kind of con sort of rebelling against that sort of life that I had where yes she's still she's still sort of being con controlled in some ways by him and he's still you know this very overprotective father but she is trying to find her way through the world and trying to make some happiness for herself anyway um, and and really trying to be seen by Juniper and trying to be a visible human in a way that she doesn't really feel within like the construct of her family life Great, thank you. Tell me about um, your experience. You you talked a little bit earlier about like you know I you know not being able to see other queer people, at, at, you know in high school or media. Like, what um, what do you think was important for you when you were writing this book and having this like very important central queer romance and and you know when you're putting the story together you there's a lot of thought into going like you know why this book why tell it in this way as a queer person i i i'm always like fascinated when i meet other writers like how much of yourself do you put into your book how much of your queerness do you put into your book and is it queer because you are queer or like do you intentionally like um like with with the romance you know mm -hmm. if um or if, you know, you're telling a story about twinhood and identity, is there, and then there's also a romance. And so as a writer, the decision to include it and to make it a central part of her identities is a intentional one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so there's a couple of things that are going on in, in that regard. I mean, definitely I'm from like the Judy Bloom camp of YA <laughs> where like you read Judy Bloom to also understand adolescence maybe in ways you were not taught by by your parents or by your mother or by your older sister and so I learned a lot about my like how to live as an adolescent through reading these books and YA is very different now you know it's very adult um, I, I don't really think it's being written a lot of it I mean it's changing a little bit with this like rise of real realistic YA but um, Twilight you know did a lot of very interesting <laughs> things to the genre <laughs> and whatever came out of Twilight. Um, so even though my book looks very different than a Judy Bloom book does, um, she was definitely sort of like like in my ear in terms of I wanted to show like other young queer Asian people what th that relationship looks like at all, but also like how to navigate it. Um, you know, there's scenes of physical intimacy where they're trying to figure out what that <laughs> is, how to do it. Um, and then because Poppy is more, I mean, I don't call her this, but you know, you could probably identify her as more pansexual. She's not a lesbian. Um, so she's also like negotiating that sort of like imposter syndrome she feels because Juniper is someone who's never been with people who, who identify as boys or as male, whereas Poppy's experience with queerness is much like fresher for her and so she has a lot of insecurity around that and so um, so yeah so those are some things that I'm trying to like negotiate in in the book but but also I think that the reason that the queerness is important to the general narrative as well is because of how it relates to twinness you know and that um, that there is like this strange queer aspect to a twin relationship um, that's very complicated and that the um, so that the 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 queer narrative and the twin narrative are sort of talking to each other hmm. in these like kind of um, unusual ways that that I, I think is kind of there anyway like I think I don't even she she does Poppy does sort of express it and there's some some feelings of insecurity that Juniper has with how intense the relationship um, is for Poppy with Lola. And so I wanted there to be that kind of like um, negotiation that they're both having mm -hmm. because the twin relationship is just such a unique, like, you know, it's like the first relationship she has. Like she sh she's in the, the womb with this other person, you know, they're 
it's a, this very intense sort of biological, like physically engaged sort of space. Um, and so I wanted, I, so, so I was kind of thinking specifically about how to, that it, I just don't think that the twin narrative would have the same weight if she just happened to be in a different type of relationship. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, um, you have a background in poetry? I do, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about how that informs your prose writing and how is it different writing prose mm. or poetry and like there's a lot of like fun aspects about this book which felt very poetic to me mm -hmm. and then there's also a lot of like mixed media with like the Instagram um, captions and the, the inclusion of that art. Um, how did you decide to like, you know, all these pieces that went into the book and like all these artistic choices. Let's let's chat about that. <laughs> yeah, so I um I got my master's in poetry in 2005. So, yeah, so when I started writing seriously as a young adult when I was 18, it was all poetry. I was obsessed with poetry and poetry really kind of saved my life before before therapy. Um <laughs> and the the control of it was really healing for me. Um and I, it was, but it was a very different time in poetry then. And so when I started trying to publish in poetry, um, it felt very limited in terms of what, like sort of where the subgenres were. And, and I felt very kind of um, at odds with the, the genre. And so when I graduated, like everything just started to expand. So the poems turned into prose poems and the prose poems got really long and they turned into lyric essays. And then I started writing creative nonfiction and now I'm like sort of doing a bunch of different genres and I'm very um, interested in hybridity. And, and now we like live in a publishing and writing world where hybridity I feel like is celebrating in a very exciting way. So, so the book is really like a hybrid. I think it's, um, it's a cross between young adult and adult. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm interested in how the visual can speak to the textual. Um, I dabble a little bit in photography and uh, I work in a lot of different other mediums. So, so yeah, it was really important to me that the book had all of these layers. And then also I feel now that, I mean, I still write poems, but I, but I feel now that like prose um, has this ability for me to have everything in it, to, so, to have the skills that I use in poetry, but also to have the, the tendency I have towards long form lately. Um, but I would say that the, in writing the actual text of the book, that it was really, I really wanted it to be imagistic. You know, I'm really drawn to the image. I'm drawn to lyricism. Um, I'm drawn to like the, sort of cadence, um, the musicality that language can have. And so I think that that's kind of where my, my poetic background kind of comes in at this point. And, and then I just wanted there to be all these different ways that teens communicate now. You know, they communicate through text. They, I mean, there's words with friends. I don't know if people play it anymore, but there's some <laughs> words with friends and messages in the book. Um, there's some Instagram. Like they're sort of speaking secretly to each other through their Instagram posts. Um, and luckily, uh, I had worked with a previous publisher who was going to get rid of sort of all of those qualities, but um, metonymy was really great. And they figured out a way to keep everything, their song lyrics, you know, which is a bunch of, a bunch of different ways that I think we all communicate really now that technology has all these layers to it, you know. Thank you. What do you hope readers will take away from Dear Twin? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, I guess I hope like that twins are made more complicated um, in their vision of it through through this book that's really only focusing on one twin. I mean, there's a lot of twin books out there that are just about twins, 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 you know, and I really wanted to kind of show that twins are also, and not just that they're also individuals, but they're, that there is this very real, profound battle of 
the we versus the I that a twin is negotiating because of the unique way that they're born into the world. And then also, um, hmm. I'm trying to think, how do I answer this without giving anything away? Um, Well, I mean, I guess I can say that the the other really important theme in the book is that that Poppy is really she's really in the role of a witness, and that um, that the person who has has been abused in a certain way has a very specific experience, but. Um, the loved one who has to witness um, a person that they care about being abused without really feeling they have the power to change it mm-hmm. is is another really important aspect mm-hmm. to talking about abuse. And mm-hmm. so I hope I, I hope that y- you know you come away with you come away from the book think, realizing that those are two very distinct identities, and they should just like be part of the conversation together somehow. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Does anyone in the audience have questions at this time? Yes. Mm, well, Nina LaCour is like my diehard favorite at the moment. Um, and she's a queer author and she wrote We Are Okay, which is like a book that I kind of read over and over again as I was writing this book. Um, that deals with queerness and also loss I really like um and then she's she's like the big one I'm trying to think if there are other people I really like um yeah so she's probably like the the core book that I've that I've been really thinking about a lot um yeah uh, there's a lot happening in YA right now also CB is an amazing YA writer and I really love her work too um and I'm I'm really interested in like they're calling it realistic YA. I'm not really interested in the dystopian YA as much, um, mainly because I just don't think it's really YA. Like I I think it's it's what teens are reading. But um, there's also this other book. I'm trying to remember her name. Um, but the book is called Love Letters to the Dead, and that's a book I also really like a lot. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? Transition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a tricky. I mean, you know, there's part of me that feels like the the that I'm the very fact that I'm writing this book is also addressing that this abuser exists. Um, I don't think it's you know, especially like in the the people around this abuser are going to know who this abuser is. But yeah, I don't know. I think that that's really complicated, and I don't know that I have an answer for that. Um, Except that we just have to keep like doing. I think the work that the that the world is doing in talking about abusers and exposing abusers, um, and in this book, it's there's also a lot around the negligence of parents who aren't really considering the, all the ways that they're sort of opening up children to abuse. So it's it's sort of kind of coming at it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Like, 
You mean in terms of the healing of abusers themselves? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, I um, I mean, I guess it depends if you actually think it's possible for abusers, especially like w once we sort of discover them, they're they're pretty much fully formed usually. And there's so many layers of pathology that um, I think there are many people that would feel like that's not even, it's not even possible, that, that the reform of abusers isn't really possible. Um, and I think until the culture of toxic masculinity and narcissism is, I, mean, I don't even know if that's an even possible <laughs> thing to like, um, do away with restructure then i don't i don't know that we're ever going to be able to move through it because the the culture is sustaining them so even if we move through it with one particular abuser we're going to have you know that yeah Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. It's a lot of interesting thoughts. Your question? Oh, yes. Hi. That's a good question. Um, I mean, definitely writing about the couple, like just being like giddy young people. Because I, I mean, I actually wrote about them in a way that I never experienced as a young person. And so that was probably like the, the most fun that I had. And then um, just ways I played with how silly that they are among all the mediums that they used to communicate was, um, yeah, it was really exciting to kind of figure out new ways to invent, especially because all of these things we have that young p people have now, like we didn't have, you know, at all. Like, um, I mean, when I was in high school, there was no internet. There's like, I mean, a phone, everyone knew you were on the phone, they could get on the phone and hear you. There was no, pri like there was n no way to even attempt to have the types of private conversations you can, you can have now. So, um, so that part was like really fun, kind of imagining what, what it's like for these young people today um, who have all of, all of the, these different ways of, um, and like different parts of their personality are kind of coming out in different in different ways. So, so yeah, that was definitely like the m most exciting. And then also just the the mere act of the invention was really fun, in a way that I was not expecting it to be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, young adult literature? Yeah. It's, it's primarily like, I mean, it's technically not a genre. It's just a marketing term for, <laughs> for um, like, any book that has a teen, teenage protagonist. But it's also depends on like, is it told from like the perspective of a teenager? Is it told from like a perspective of an adult looking back? If it's like an adult person looking back, then it's not YA because it's like a different feel. Whereas like, can you define like Catch-22 as YA when it's written in a different era now that like a lot of young adult literature is, there's like coming from like Judy Bloom and The Babysitter's Club and Goosebumps and like Christopher Pike and 
like the evolution of like books that have expanded to f fill like niches of readers who are hungry for books. Um, it's it's just an interesting world. I think there are a lot of conversations happening, um, and Twitter's of it's it's just a, a tool. I mean, the internet is just an accessibility thing. So, I feel like these conversations have always existed, and people there are a lot of things that people say are like, oh my gosh, it's so like toxic and divisive, and the people are always shouting at each other. I'm like, people have always been shouting at each other. Now it's just like visible <laughs> for everybody to see the the shouts. Uh, I think there's a lot of really good conversation happening around inclusivity and um, looking at books that are coming out. And I think that like there's been a lot of what people are calling trends towards like having more diverse books, but it's not, you know, a trend is like having bell bottom jeans. It's a phase, it comes and it goes. And it's not some, it's like, you know, a flash in the pan. Like, um, whereas like, you know, people of color have always existed queer people have always existed. And so it's just a matter of visibility and where we've, we've been having these conversations and, and that we've reached a point where they are being heard. And a lot of, um, you know, now that we have this platform where it's so easy to share ideas and that things move very quickly. And so I think that's just a matter of like how quickly things go. And, and it's, it's I'm, I don't know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. On one hand, I'm really grateful that, like, you know, my books wouldn't have, ex I, I mean, they would have existed. I would have written about. I don't know if they would have found the audience without, like, people, um, you know, the Asian American community and the queer community, like, seeing, like, when my book was announced, like, the cover of Not Your Sidekick featuring, like, an Asian American girl, and like, the back copy and the synopsis is very clear that this is there's going to be a love story here, and it's queer, and it's like shenanigans and superheroes, and it's fun, and like. I was really blown away by like kind of like social media's response where everyone was like, oh my God, this book, why hasn't it existed before? And like all these people started like the the mo the wheels began turning where people um, like publishers before and like people who are like, oh no, that's so, that's so niche. You're gonna write like a bisexual Vietnamese Chinese American character. And the, what ended up happening was that like people saw that the book existed and they wanted to read it. And they, the, all the support came in and like, you know, that was 2016. I was, and I'm really fortunate as a writer that like, you know, to have had the readership that I've had. Um, and like, that's how I met Addie with like, was that just, we just, you just friended me on Facebook or? Through the, and then through the binders groups too. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it was mm -hmm. literally like, we, we met because yeah. of. Yeah, that's true. Uh-huh. Facebook. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so many, so many ways I could respond to this. I mean, so, you know, like YA is huge and there's a lot of money in it. So there's a lot of people on Twitter. Yeah, there's a, a lot of people on Twitter that are fo that follow, that want agents or that read or whatever. And so I think like what whatever issues we see in like other places, it's like, it's very, very like expansive in YA, but um, so yeah, so then there, there's like places in YA where it's really exciting, where people do seem to actively want to like share tweets of new books and add books to lists, lists and whatever. But then, you know, if you take all of that energy and like you turn it on its opposite end, um, when, when someone says something critical then also there's going to be like, I mean, just <laughs> like excessive amount of people that are also going to jump on it. Um, people who haven't read the book, people who don't even know the story, um, you know, so, and then just like everything in Twitter, it just like kind of snowballs very quickly. Um, Twitter is, is the tw Twitter, why a Twitter is like its own it's like own it's its own drama. Beast. It's its own drama. <laughs> it's it's wild. It's, it's interesting, but I feel like because it's such an, an a unique time. Because as a as, when I was a young reader, I was like I could talk to the author of this book. Like when you were thinking about accessibility and accountability, I think it, there's a level now where people are like, you know what, I'm gonna at J.K. Rowling right now, and like because you can, and that doesn't guarantee mm -hmm. that she'll see it. But like there's, I think in young adult literature a lot of young people are very enthusiastic <laughs> and passionate about having these conversations about what they mm -hmm. feel is important 
to read and what they want to read. And I think that's great that like, you know, and we're always learning, we're always works in progress where someone was like, you know, you can form an opinion and then you can also like change your opinion where you're like, you know what, I was wrong. What I said Mm -hmm, was, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't know that that word was racist or like people are always like owning up to like, and there's a lot of conversation like, oh my God, call out culture is so toxic. But I think there's a a level of like accountability that I think is good. Whereas like in adult literature or like in, in other like world, literary worlds there's people having these conversations but like at they're so far behind at what like where YA is talking about them where you know where we're already like talking about like why is it important to elevate like voices from people from who are writing specifically about like experiences in that community Mm -hmm. and why is it important to like elevate like you know if you're writing a trans book that the author is trans and like to uplift those stories and to like um you know, there's, I think there's a lot of great excitement and there's, all, you know, there's, it's also just like a shouting room. So people do shout, but it's all, it's, I think there's a lot of interesting things happening. Well, like with the JK Rowling thing where, <laughs> you know, when she came back in the, what are they, what are they called? Like the pre, are they the prequels or what are they? Well, when she came back and she was like, oh, this character's suddenly gay and da, 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 And then everyone kind of went after her. I mean, the other thing that's, that's happening on Twitter, too, is people also know if enough people do it, it's going to end up on some sort of pop media and it's going to go viral, right? So, so they know that their voice, it's possible their voice can be part of this kind of acceleration. But there's definitely like this, I mean, I think this is the case in like a lot of Twitter, but um, where there's some, sometimes just coming up with things to get mad at, like get <laughs> mad about because they know it might, they might be heard and you know, those voices are kind of like the ones that get heard more quickly. Um, but I find, yeah, I definitely find it a little bit, um, intimidating I can't keep up I'm like what are we mad at today I'm like oh, okay anybody can be on Twitter I, it's largely it's combination because yeah. there's like there's readers there's writers yeah so there's a lot of active like I think it's people who are communicating in that community are but then the, then the blood air thing that didn't that come out of Goodreads initially? I don't know. Okay, well, and then the other thing too is that Goodreads. Oh, there's the a book community there too. There's so many platforms for people to talk about things, and it's yeah. So if they write an, enough of a critical review, not only can they can really like affect the sales, but then that sort of gets fed back into Twitter, and then people figure find out things about the book they haven't read, and then they get really angry about it too. So. Um, big mad. Well, I mean, like the the chil- like the teenagers in Parkland who were able to govern. I mean, largely using Twitter, and because Twitter was able was at a place where it was able to do that. Yeah. I think it's, it feels, it's hard because like on some level, like when people are like, why do you write young adult fiction? Or like, what do you, like I write a lot of sci-fi and fantasy and someone's like, oh, it's because it's fun. I like magic and I like sci-fi and worlds. But there, you know, a lot of like the core of my stories is about young people starting a revolution against a corrupt government. That's why I think it's important for, like, if you're writing for young adults to be aware of, like, the responsibility you have. And a lot of the conversations in YA Twitter is specifically about, like, mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. it is on the author's responsibility to make sure, like, if you're communicating, like, you know, you're representing communities with respect 
and, you know, as authentically as you can and, you know, do more good than harm. <laughs> I think so. There are a lot of, like, there's so many, like, especially when, like, you know, I think the readers are so vocal now about, like, this is the kind of story I want. Or, like, especially with, like, queer content. Like, mm. one of the reasons I, I, why I started writing was that I was so tired of, like, okay, if there's a, you know, there is a gay character, okay, they die, they are bullied, they have a really tragic life. And as a kid, as a kid, I was so, like, I internalized that. Like, okay, there's no happy ending for me except to, like, have one of these, like, very sad things happen to me. And um, I, you know, when I wanted to write, like, a really fun like adventure story and that really fueled me but like I just want to have a queer epic adventure <laughs> and um that I think that that shows when like I have so many readers that were like would write to me and be like I love how fun this book was and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um you know they deal with a lot of important stuff but it's also like and I think there's a, so much room for all kinds of stories like we need the coming out stories we need the stories talking about abuse we need the stories talking about healing and trauma but like to have that spectrum of like, I want a kid to be able to walk into a bookstore and be like, I feel like this today. And to have that the choice and not just like, this is this is the only option I have and it's, it's all sad. Um, which is actually why I intentionally wrote this book cross genre. I mean, I'm, I'm mostly marketing it as YA with like cross genre um, capabilities because I felt that the, the YA genre is really pushing, already pushing and um, complicating how sophisticated that young adult readers are, um, the adults who are reading it, but also the teenagers and teenagers plus that are reading it. And I felt like the, the genre was ready, but I wasn't really seeing a lot of that happening so much um, within the form. And so, yeah, so that was actually something I was thinking a lot about that that these young readers are really sophisticated and they're reading a lot of different kinds of work, um, not just in books, but because they, because of the internet, they're seeing a lot of different, they're consuming so many different types of text. And so I, I really felt that it, it was, that it's time to really like push into this next stage of YA, which will, will blur really the line between young adult and literary fiction, I think, yeah. Yay, thank you so much for having us. Um, I believe Skylight may have, uh, no, maybe, perhaps, yes. Thank you, Skylight. And um, Addie's books are here and available if you want to purchase them um, before you come up to have them signed. Oh, my books exist too. You can get the Sidekick Squad here. They do exist. (laughs) Um, we'd love to come hang out and chat with you. We'll be here. Help yourself to snacks and beverages. And please stop by and say hi. And thank you so much for having us. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.